Hey there, senders. Happy New Year, and welcome back to the podcast. Before we get started, I just wanted to shout out to some sponsors and say thank you so much for joining me in this ride in 2021. Uh, This podcast is being brought to you by the Bole Brands. That's right, the Bole Brands for active eyewear and casual eyewear. Bole Brands includes Spy Optic, Serengeti, and Bole. Um, I'm currently running the Spy Optic foundation goggles when I'm out there on the trails and the foundation goggles have that HT HD plus clarity in the lens so you can see the trail really well on all the different details so you can pick the right lines for your writing ability when you're out there and uh, the foundation goggles also have the widest peripheral lenses on the market so always good to be able to see where you're going uh, so thank you to the Bole brands for your sponsorship also, big shout out to 7IDP, 7 Intelligent Design Protection, protection for both the male and female mountain bike athlete. And 7IDP has you covered from head down to your toes. If you want to check them out, go to 7protection.com and see if there's anything there that you like. I'm currently running the Full Face uh, Project 23DH helmet, and that thing has 23 vents in it and allows to keep my head cool while I'm pedaling around down here on these SoCal trails. Um, and if you do want to go to that website, use promo code SEGMENT for 15% off. Again, that's promo code SEGMENT for 15% off. And finally, to my newest support, that is Tasco. That's right, folks. Tasco, the makers of the gloves, the shirts, the shorts, the hats. Um, Tasco is supporting the podcast, and they're also giving you 10% off I've got a project code that I will have in the sh- in the show notes for you. And if there's anything you want there, go to TascoMTB.com. Uh, I'm currently using the um, Pathfinder gloves as well as the double digit gloves. And I got myself a pair of those Scout shorts. Those are unbelievably comfortable and uh, they look like they're going to last a long, long time. So thank you so much, Tasco, for your support. All right, senders, my special guest today is Lee McCormack. Lee McCormack was in the um, newspaper magazine journalism arena in which he won the Pulitzer Prize. And he had this phenomenal breakthrough with regards to purpose when watching a movie called The Whale Rider. So it's very interesting talking to him how he was on this path for one thing and something really changed and pulled him towards what he is calling his purpose. And he's done a great job. Over 30 years of MTB experience, you guys. He has also been authored of 11 books, uh, two of which are really uh, our bestsellers. Uh, books called Dialed, as well as Mastering the Mountain Bike Skills. Lee McCormack is definitely a Kung Fu master in the mountain bike arena. He offers online classes, and at one time he was the head coach for NICA. So without further ado, folks, please help me welcome my special guest today, Lee McCormack. All right. All right. Hey, hey, Lee. Hey, Mark. How's it going, dude? Man, dude, it is good to see you from the YouTube to the segment podcast. I did. I appreciate it, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Good to, <laughs> good to be here. 
it's it's awesome to see you and hear you. Um, for the folks that are listening to this, if they're not watching this live or they're just listening to it, I, I reached out to Lee because I was watching some YouTube videos and there was a couple, uh, Lee Likes Bikes was one of them and Joy of Bike was another one. Very, very good YouTube videos, instructional, and Lee just pops out of the screen with his enthusiasm but also his way of describing mountain bike skills. Um, so Lee, if you wouldn't mind taking us back to um, kind of like your story, how did how did Lee Likes Bikes become what it is today? Well, I'll give you the full story, dude. Yeah. You know, it's, I grew up near you. I grew up in Mission Viejo, um, Orange County. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. That's where I grew up, yep. And uh, just typical, you know, suburban deal, right? Um, yeah. And as a kid, I was into fishing. That was like my sport. I was a hardcore fisherman guy. Also overweight and this and that. And uh, um, like I got into motocross in my late teens. My parents didn't know I had a moto. They didn't even know I owned one until they got a call from the ICU down in San Diego. Oh. You know, as a matter of fact, there's this place uh, down that way. There's this guy named Jeff Ward um, who was like one of the top supercross guys motocross guys back in the day he still lives out there i see him at the i've been to the w training center over in, like near you uh-huh. and um I, I see him working out there and he has guys he trains but anyway um i grew up out there and um yeah that day we were out riding in this riding spot where jeff ward was okay. and of course i sucked i mean like a lot of guys are self-deprecating I'm going to tell you, I was the, I, I know for a fact, because I did like the whole California race series back then, last place. I was oh. probably the worst motocross racer in the state. I can say that with confidence. But that day, um, we were out there with Jeff Ward. I mean, we're not with him, but he's there, you know. It would be like going to ride, and you're riding, and you could say, oh, yeah, dude, Aaron Gwynn was there, but you weren't. Right. Riding. <laughs> right. He was in the zip code, right? So he was there and he did some big step up jump. And I was like, dude, I can do that. I have a Kawasaki too. And of course I wake up days later in the hospital. That's when my, my family found out. But back then, like I was motocross, but I was out of shape. I had no skill. I wasn't, I still wasn't really an athlete, you know? And then um, around then, this is like 88, um, mountain biking was becoming more popular. You know what I mean? And and back then they had 18 gears, dude. Ooh, yeah. Three in the front, six in the back. And I was like weighing over 200 pounds and I was in terrible shape. And I was like, with all those gears, I can climb easy, right? No. But but, by the way, I went, you know, I went and spent 300 bucks on a bike. Um, My parents were just like, dude, you're an idiot. You're never going to be an athlete. I'm like, I'm going to lose weight. They're like, no, you're not. You're never going to lose weight. Do good in school. Make people laugh. You know, that kind of thing. And, um, but I started riding it and I loved it, dude. I loved it. And it was just like. It just something resonated. Like I would take it around the neighborhood. Like back in the day, SoCal had tons of open space. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you could just go like drop in off the back of your neighborhood and go ride trails all over the place. That's how it was back then. Wow. And so I would do that. And I started riding to school. And I'll never forget because the first time I rode to school, I was at junior college at the time. It took 47 minutes. It killed me. I was hurting so bad. But dude, when I got there, I was so proud of myself. You know what I mean? I was like, yes. This is for me. So like a year later, the same ride was 12 minutes. You oh, know what nice. I mean? And like, and so like I just became a, a cyclist and like, and like my weight came off. And then what was really cool, there's this huge part of why I'm so committed to riding. is like, like I believe that inside me was an athlete the whole time. You know what I mean? 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and like my spirit wanted to like move and do these cool things, but like being heavy with asthma, et cetera, like soccer and stuff didn't work. Right. But the bike is rad because even if you're heavy the bike will carry it. Does that make sense? That makes it's not sense. like plodding along and you're running. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I think that's when like for all these new COVID riders, like you, you know, you mentioned them, like mm-hmm. they can come in and a bike, no matter how, what kind of body you have, whatever you got going on, you can ride a bike. If you can't ride a real bike, like a regular bike, get a tricycle. You know, I mean, you can ride something, mm-hmm. and it's so cool. And then, it, and it just brings so much to your body, to your spirit. And so, for me, I just became a cyclist. You know, and first I was more like road, but then I, you know, like culturally, I don't jive with the road scene. You know what I mean? I don't. That's not my vibe. So I'm a mountain biker now. You know, and this is, and I've been a mountain biker now, like a hardcore mountain biker for over thirty years, dude. You know. And um, so I'm giving you like a long run around story, but like basically like I, I was like young, I started junior call, co- I started journalism classes and I, and I got my first mountain bike the same week. So then this parallel thing started, like I, I, be- I became a rider and at the same time, like I was like working for the school newspaper and learning that stuff mm. and becoming a journalist and learning about informational graphics, which was like a big deal back then. And then I went off to like regular college up in far Northern California at Humboldt state. Mm-hmm. You know, I got some proper hippie school, a real hippie. <laughs> I got in Boulder. This is not a hippie school. This is a rich person's school. Yeah. It's a nice These are Audi, Audis in the parking lot. You know, <laughs> I Humboldt, there's no cars in the parking lot. Bikes. So I went there and I, and I did like, I, I, I majored in mountain biking, dude. I rode mud all the time. I learned to ride and I did my journalism stuff and, and I was loving both, you know, and I went to go work at a newspaper and I was doing great. And I was like, like having a good career with my infographics. And at the same time, I was always all about bikes. So I wrote like columns for the newspaper. Um, I was one of the founding editors or contributors to Bike Magazine back in the day, you know, and I, and I was freelancing for the various magazines. And I had like this parallel life where I was like trying to be this mountain bike guy, but I was also being like this visual journalist guy. I mean, like they're very separate and um and i gotta tell you like mark that like like i'm kind of like a high energy antsy guy i guess and um i was in my early 20s like i'm talking 23 24 25 and i was already having these like pain syndromes in my body oh wow like gnarly pain syndromes where like like my especially my forearms it would be white hot pain dude and like mm. And, and since that kind of coincided with me starting like a day job, we thought it was like a repetitive stress injury, you know, like carpal tunnel. Yeah. And, and we, we pursued that whole like scene, you know, and, and, and all that and saw doctors. And, and I was like, but at the same time, I was racing like cat one downhill and I was like strong. So it was like, there's nothing wrong with my body. Physical. And I remember one time, like I was in, in therapy talking to my therapist back in the day. And I was so frustrated. I was like, I don't understand. Like I, w- I was in excruciating pain, dude. I would take, I would keep track. I would take like 14 ibuprofen a day just to get through a work shift. Holy crap. It was bad. Like my hands, cause I was working hardcore making infographics for daily newspapers. So every day it was just like, bam, 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 super intense, ah, high energy, get published again the next day, which is actually pretty exciting. Right? Mm-hmm. So like there's this whole thing going on and like the stress, I was talking to my therapist. I was so frustrated. I'm like, I don't get it. Like, my doctors say there's nothing wrong with me, but like, 
you feel it hurts. Yeah. And she's like, dude, freeze. She's like, look at your hands. And I was like, oh, damn. Sure was a lot of tension in my hands. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I realized in that moment, it wasn't like a physical thing. It was a stress thing. Mm. And in that moment, I was able to like really reduce the pain. It was pretty rad. But, but, but what was going on, right, was like I was succeeding at work. And, and I just got lucky. And like a bunch of us, we like want to pull a surprise together as a team. Totally bad, right? But I'm still not even 30. And I'm like wanting to be a mountain biker. Back then, all I cared about was winning a national in Catalan. That's all I cared about. But I was doing my job. And what was going on, dude, I hope this makes sense, was that like I can see it on hindsight that there's like this, this, there this dissonance in me, like a massive dissonance. Because I knew, I knew exactly, I'll sound crazy, but I knew exactly like what God made me for, like what my purpose was. And it wasn't that, it wasn't the newspaper thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't that. And, and like, um, it was something to do with mountain biking and my communication skills and my writing and my graphics. And I, and I started having this idea that someday I would write the definitive book, the book that was way better than all the other books. So I'm still at the newspaper. I top out at like the age of 30. What do you do? So then I went and worked for, um, remember the search engine Alta Vista? Alta Vista, man, I, I don't, is that way back in like the, what was the, I mean, at the start of the That was like the big, right? like before Google, Alta Vista was the shit. It was- Alta Vista, it, wow. Um, we were the big one, like like older people will remember. Um, and so Alta Vista was the, the SHIT before Google came up. Okay. And I worked there as an information architect, which is like a lot of the same skills I already knew, but except for internet. And so like um, the level of stress and work increased, the level of money increased like a lot, a lot. Because back then, dude, like the freaking, the, the, um, the Silicon Valley thing was going crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. If you had a pulse, six-figure job. You know what I mean? And I have more than a pulse. So I was doing really well. And, and but, but like back then, like this is in the Bay Area, like we would train and go ride Santa Cruz and train and train and look weekends, go race North Star and race DH. And one of those years I won the series. That was cool, right? Good for me. Yeah. And like, we're just so hardcore, right? And like, and I'm like succeeding, okay? But like, there's this like health issue that's happening where like, I'm just not right. And I have all this stress-related illnesses and it's not, I just know it's wrong. So check it out. Um, there's this movie and it's funny because my friends tell me it's not that great of a movie. So it wasn't really the movie, it was me. But I'll share with you. Um, there's a movie called Whale Rider. Whale Rider, yeah. That's the the New Zealander movie, right? Yeah. And it's a beautiful movie. Yes. Kind of intense about this girl who's, who's destiny is to become the king of the tribe, right? Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know anything about the movie. It won a bunch of awards at Sundance and stuff. So my ex and I, we go, we're in the, the Palo Alto movie theater in Palo Alto in the heyday of the Silicon Valley boom, right? And the whole parking lot's Porsches. Plus mm-hmm. I used to drive a $2,000 uh, Ford Astro van mm-hmm. full of bikes. That was my car, right? Back in the <laughs> Nice. And, and it was funny because, like, every time you fill it with gas, we'd also fill it with oil. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, but it worked, right? Um, so I'm there, and the movie starts, and it's about fate, okay? And again, like, it's not the movie. It's just, like, where I was. And it's about fate, right? And, like, I'm sitting there. I'm watching this movie, and I'm just starting to cry. Dude. I'm just starting to cry. 
Hmm. And I'm like, whoa. And at first I'm like, oh man, I'm not going to cry in public, you know, so I'm trying to hold it down, but it just got more and more intense. You know what I mean? Like it got really intense. And I finally just let it fly. And the whole movie, and I'm just crying uncontrollably. I'm not even trying, right? I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. My ex-wife's like, dude, whoa, crazy person. And, and 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 then the movie's like shaking out, right? And it's like her like destiny is coming to fruition. It's all happening. And uh, dude, I had a vision. I had a vision. Some entity was looking down on me. I was a speck, and that entity was like, dude, are you watching this movie? Are you seeing this? And I was like, oh my God, yeah, I see it. This is insane. And that entity said, so, are you honoring your fate? Wow. And I was like, fuck, no, I wasn't. And that was a Friday, dude, and I quit my job Monday. Holy cow. That really resonated with you to change and chase your purpose. It was time, you know, and like, it was like total like Joseph Campbell, like, hero's journey, pursue your bliss thing. And I go into my boss and I was like, like, I mean, how do I say this? Like I'm old enough now to know that like I've got some abilities and some gifts, but I'm just a dude and I try my best. That's all I got going, right? But like, I'm good at my, I'm good at work. I'm a good worker. You know what I mean? Like I was built to work. So my boss loved me, you know what I mean? And he was like, dude, how much money do you do? What do you want? And I was like, I'm sorry, like it's too late. And he's like, okay, um, don't tell anybody, but Yahoo just bought us. And if you can wait a few weeks, you'll get all your stock. Oh man. Now this is where the inspirational story becomes bad advice. I had just, I had walked off the cliff. You know what I mean? Like I've been thinking about this decision for 10 years. And once oh, I walked off that cliff, I was done. So I walked no, away. No turning You know back. what I mean? Yeah. And that was it. So I went from like, you know, super busy back then. Like my boss was like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's a minimum day. That's not getting fired, oh you know? Gosh. So I was working a lot. And then I went from, and, and you know, making a good six figures. And I just like, I, I woke up on a, like the next two weeks later, turned off, nothing. Wow. And then it was like, whew, okay, tough guy. Now it's real. Cause like, and maybe, I don't know if you've ever been here, but it's like, it's one thing to like have easy success in your life, mm-hmm. but to like hold on to this fantasy of who you really are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was always telling people like, oh yeah, you know, my promotion, whatever. Mm-hmm. My raise, whatever. Oh, Pulitzer Prize, great. Fuck yeah. it, who cares? Your, you know? your identity was kind of hung, hung in there. My identity was on this idea that I was some genius mountain biker writer guy. Right. So then I quit the job and I went out on the circuit and I raced and I did well, you know, for me, I did good. I got to go to the world. It was wonderful. Right. And then um, I decided like saying, okay, it's time to do this book. It is time for this book to happen. And I'm the guy to do it. So I started really thinking about it. And I talked to this one pro racer out on the circuit who was also kind of coach and he flaked and didn't work. Eh. And I started writing like book proposals and then like back in the day, like way before, before I moved away to become like this other guy, um, I used to be really close rotting buddies with this guy named Brian Lopes, who's on the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. And Brian and I, we got along great because we were both up for anything back then. We were both young, you know, I'm no Brian Lopes, but I'm okay, you know? And it was just like, dude, 
<laughs> I remember there'd be like snow on the top of Saddleback Mountain. I'd be like, dude, let's go up there. And we go ride on the snow. Or like I used to work at a Texaco station in Laguna Niguel. And I rode my bike everywhere at the time. So I would work till 11 p.m. I would run by, I would roll by his house at like 11.30 at night, just like on the front door. He'd go answer the door. I'd be like, come on, dude, what you doing? Let's go sprint. And he and I would just go out and sprint each other to death. Like we just rode all the time, you know? But I hadn't seen him in like 10 years because I was off doing my career. And in parallel, while I was becoming maybe the best infographics guy I know personally, he's becoming like the best mountain biker in the world. And that's what he was back then, for sure. So he calls up, quote, out of nowhere. Wow. I haven't heard from homie in 10 years. 10 years. Phone rings. Hey, dude. Holy crap. What's going on? Hey, man. Dude, Brian, I just quit my job. I'm going to write a book, you know, I'm going to do it. But man, I'm having trouble because I don't have a name in that industry. He's like, dude, I'll do the book with you. So there you go. Done. Wow. And that's this book here? That's that book. This is the third edition right there. And that was the first edition. It came out in 05. Wow. There, yeah. and there's his name right there. There it is. There's, people always ask me like, and it gives me a lot of pain, but they're like, so dude, why is Brian Lopes's name bigger than yours? Oh, <laughs> if you guys are watching this, you can see how big that, that is. I'm like, he has five more world championships than I do, <laughs> which is a I have zero, and he has five. So there you go, right? But talk, it's interesting, too, like from an ego standpoint, because like when I was at the paper, I had my name on everything I did. I had like complete ownership. But this, I had to kind of like subvert my ego a little bit more for the greater good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like that book happened and dude, I'm telling you this, like you, 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 you completely identified the truth, which is that like my ego, my self identity was tied up in my work big time still is, you know? And like, so like, dude, opening up a word document and going like, okay, let's write the best book that's ever been written in history on this subject. It's kind of intimidating. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and as I went through that process, like, um, I, I, I didn't know what shingles was, but I got, I got so stressed out. Mm. I, didn't, I didn't even have a job. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's so weird. Like you go to like a dot com or a daily newspaper every damn day. Ah, it's bad for you, but yeah. you can deal. But quitting your job, writing all the time and trying to write the definitive book on a topic, your first book, that gave me shingles. dude. Holy crap. And, 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 like, and how old were you, Lee, when this was happening? It's like young 30s. Jeez. And, and like, um, have you had shingles? No. I mean, chicken pox as a kid, and I, and I know that carries the shingles, right? So Mostly it's old people who are sick. It's really unusual for like a 30-year-old athlete to get it, but it was pure stress. You know what I'm saying? Man. Pure stress. So it was hard, dude, but it came out great, the first one. Um, I had a crazy moment, right? Like back then, like um, there's a guy named Ned Overend who um, is – Hall of Fame, badass cross country racer, God. Like, like what what Brian Lopes is to gravity riding, Ned Overend is to cross country, right? Mm -hmm. And and before my book came out, Ned had like the biggest selling mountain bike technique book, and it was a crazy day for me when I got an order on the computer from Ned Overend. Whoa! Great... Five of them. Whoa! What a great compliment that is. And he wrote me an email. He's like, all right, this is for my son and my son's friend and my son's other friend and my friend and one's for me. So, like, I signed them all for these guys. And, like, dude, when you sit down 
And you're like, get your Sharpie pen. And you're like, what do you write to Ned over it? You know what I mean? It's like so sick, right? And I just said, you know, something nice. He's a really nice guy. Whenever I've seen him in real life, he's just like, hey, how's the book? You know, he's awesome. He's well loved for a reason. So like that like was the start of this whole path. And so when the book came out, like I was like, I'm still a writer, of course. I love writing, but I'm I'm a communicator too, you know. And I decided, like, well, like every other real sport, skiing is the best example, has a curriculum, like an official method for teaching. And mountain biking didn't have any of that back then. I was like super early. So I thought, all right, well, I will create a curriculum. I will create the curriculum. And I'll be that guy. And so I did, I, I designed it all out. And um, a friend of mine who was very smart said, dude, you know, you ought to test it out and make sure it works before you publish it. And I was like, hmm, that's probably a good idea. And this is kind of cool, Mark. Like, I had never been a teacher in my life. I had no desire to teach. I had no inkling that I was good at it. Nothing. It was just a new concept. So I started, like, I, I, I got a job working with, like, a kid's group. And then I started coaching the parents and the parents' friends, just total word of mouth in the beginning. And, dude, like, I, I found my purpose. That was it. Wow. It was like it like it clicked so deeply for me. Like 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 there's this term, the highest and best use of your time mm-hmm. or of your heart. That's my teaching. So for me, teaching is really great because you have like I'm a, I'm a decent bike rider, so I get to be out on my bike and I get to show what I can do, which is fun. Um, I I love like the information design about the whole thing. I love like coming up with these better and better methods of teaching. And I've been in it for so long. Like the way I do it now is totally different from what I used to. And, and it turns out like, I'm really good. Like I'm gifted. I can say that um, at interacting with people in this way, you know what I mean? And like, and, and, and I have some thinking that like, like teaching really well, it's not a theory. It's a fact. Like, like the generally the best rider, like the world champion rider is mostly generally not a good teacher. There, it's just a totally different brain system, totally different skill set, right? Really different. And um, but I'm a I'm a I'm an okay bike rider, but I'm a really good teacher. I can say that. You know what I'm saying? And so like teaching has been huge for me. You know, and it's like it's it's like I'm, I'm yammering because I'm trying to express something. It's like yeah. like, like I know because I okay. This is what I want to say. Some people are just good at mountain biking. Like my friend Curtis Keene, um, Red Bull guy, um, professional downhiller turned um, enduro guy. He lives down in Southern California, you know. Like I remember, like he got a bike. He's a freaking badass athlete. He was fast immediately. He was cat one, one year, semi-pro national champion the second year, pro contract the third year. That's him. And some people are like that, right? But most of us aren't. You know what I mean? Most of us are just guys like us. So anyway, like one thing I think that makes that that love about teaching is that like I understand as deeply as anybody on this planet how powerful and how meaningful and how joyful mountain biking can be. Like it's more than just riding a bike. Like for a lot of us, it's a vehicle to like express our full self. You know, and it could be like, maybe you love writing code. That's cool. Or maybe you love to um, 
play a piano. Like it's cool too. Like it does. Like we, this is just for a lot of us. Mountain biking is our thing. So if I, I'm and more and more as I get deeper into this thing, like I'm seeing the bike as a tool, and I will teach you how to ride your bike. Like if I ever see you, I'll teach you how to shred corners. You know what that loose over hard pack you guys have in SoCal? Oh yeah. It's so dangerous and scary. Yep. Steve Pete, downhill world champion, told me himself. He's like, he told me he would rather ride in snow and mud than loose over hard pack. Because he said that like in snow and mud, at least you know what the bike's gonna do. But he said when he's in SoCal, he's terrified. Isn't that funny? Interesting. (laughs) That's crazy. But to my point, like I will teach. I can teach you like the mechanics of like how to really make your bike corner on that surface, or hit a jump, or do what you want to do, right? But like for the people who are into it, the bike's just a tool, and we help you like achieve flow with a capital F. We achieve. We help you realize your deepest, most powerful potential. I mean, that's my thing. That's my goal. That's really cool. That is really awesome. That, what an amazing journey in the timing of you quitting your job and Brian Lopes giving you a call is, it's just like one of those things, you're on the right track. You know, it's, you're where you were supposed to be, I guess. Yeah, like fate, God, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. That was no accident, man. You know, that, that, no, is, that was no accident. That is, that is crazy. I wanted to um, address some of the folks in the audience that are here. Um, you guys, feel free to chime in. Ask any questions you want. Um, we're lucky enough to have Lee here for a little while, and uh, he definitely well, wants are. to bring value to you on whatever you like. Um, I see Edwin Granados is here. Edwin was a, um, a newer mountain bike rider as well. He yeah. says, um, I resonate with that. I started riding seriously back in April, still a little overweight, but just did my first race last weekend at South Ridge. Good for you, Edwin. That's so cool. You got uh, Obi-Wan Tony says, hey, what's up, guys? That's like 30-year 30, 30 MTB veteran. And then at the end of your story, you said that's super, super rad. He, he um, plays piano. Yes, yep. Plays piano Good. and mountain bike. Good combo. Um, and, and since you you kind of brought it up, one of the things that I that I was reading here in the book, you guys, um, Lee talks about light hands and heavy feet, and you were talking about Southern California and the loose over hard. Um, maybe you can kind of give us a little bit of a tutorial on cornering with that with that. And then there's also the big thing that I that was reading in here. There was like once there was the attack position, right? That you that you had said that you used to. You're, the way that you taught the first time is way different now. Yeah, it was like attack, attack. But, uh, you know, you start thinking, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna attack a mountain. Like you, you never, you're never gonna win if you attack a mountain. On hindsight, right? Yeah, and then you, if if I'm getting the story right, um, you were supposed to be teaching at an event at a festival, and I think you you came down with the flu, and you were kind of having heavy fevers, and you're kind of in and out of consciousness. Um, and you were describing that how things of love kind of do these waves, you know, like everything that we do is kind of in a wave and it clicked. Something happened from the attack position where you discovered utilizing the hinge. Right. C- can you, can you talk to the audience a little bit about what that is? Sure. So like, like I'll, I'll say this first of all about light, light hands, heavy feet. That's one of the, um, the biggest, like, most important things that went into the first book 
by hands heavy feet. I'm telling you, one of the reasons I got myself the shingles was it's like uh, all the other books and, and experts out there are like, oh yeah, bro, lean back. You know what I mean? And like, hang on, it's like useless advice. So I always wanted to be like, okay, like if you're doing like this angle and you're on the brakes with this many G's, where do you put your body? Like there's math involved. And I was trying really hard to like express exactly where to go. And then it was a big realization for me, this is a long time ago now, that like, well, wait a second, like is if all the weight's in your feet, in the pedals, all of it's in the pedals and your hands are neutral, then you have just solved a ma an amazingly complicated um, equation. Hmm. So in a simple way, if you're just going along flat ground in a constant speed, then your center of mass, more or less your belly button's right on top of the bottom bracket. Simple. Let's say you're braking hard. And just for simple numbers, let's say you're braking um, with one G of deceleration, okay. right? So one G is pushing forward. And one G, gravity, is trying to pull you straight down. And of course, then the average angle is 45 degrees. That's like the net force. So if you're braking with one G, then in order to maintain heavy feet light hands, you would rotate your back, body back, 45 degrees. Hmm. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Equal and then the same thing can be said, like if you're railing a berm, let's say, and you're pulling a G in a berm, mm -hmm. 45 degrees. So it's like, 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 and our systems are designed deeply to keep us on our feet. That's how we roll because we're bipedal. So like, like that right there is huge because when you're, when you're, when all your weights in your, in your pedals, then depending on the design of your bike, you know, things are changing now. Let's say you're about 60% rear wheel, 40% front wheel, somewhere in there. And, and that's perfect. It's like a ski. It's like a downhill ski. It's like where you put the binding on a ski, something like that. And so, and so as long as you stay in the middle of the bike relative to the forces, this is important. You cannot be flung over the handlebars. Like it's impossible. You're, Interesting. you're Interesting. And from, so I think the two, I know the two major biggest causes of getting hurt are going over the box. Yeah. That's number one. Cannot happen if you're balanced on your feet. Impossible. The next one is washing out in turns. We've yes. all done both. That's all SoCal down here. <laughs> SoCal, dude, that place is gnarly. Like, it's really funny. Um, and so um, if you're balanced in the middle of the bike, the bike might drift as a unit like a ski would, but you're not going to catastrophically crash. What, what, what messes people up is when they're too far forward or they're too far back. That's what messes you up. As long as you're in the middle, you're good. Wow. And you hear all the time. Trust that front tire. Put that weight on that front tire in those corners. That's that's not right. Then it, it's so tricky because it's like like um and, and like there's tons more detail you know out there. But like um the handlebars. Okay, here's a thought experiment. You can all do it next chance next time you get a chance. Or if you like look at some of my videos, you'll see this. Like just take your bike, hold it by the seat, and just lean it. And then the bike will lean, and the and the and the, and the front wheel, the, the 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 steering system will just steer, right? Yes, yes. And then push the bike, and they'll make a perfect circle. You know, I've, it's so funny you say that. I've done that on accident a couple of times where I've 
have the bike and I'm off of it and I'm walking back to the car and it'll I'll lean it say I lean it to the left the handlebars will turn and it'll it will bring me all the way around in a perfect circle feels like it's it's feels like it's taking me for a walk isn't that interesting so yeah. like like in, in my opinion that's the essence of cornering right okay. like 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 we I mean if you're going really slow like walking speed it's a little bit more like a tricycle where you actually steer but at like a practical mountain bike speed that we all go, um, it's not about steering, it's about leaning. It's like skiing in that way, and, and or snowboarding. And so what we want to be able to do is, is control the angle of the bike and allow the front end to do what it wants, because it knows better than we do. And if, if, if you do that experiment, you'll notice that as you change the angle of the bike, the steering angle changes a little bit, Okay. Man, this is really cool. If you do that little circle experiment and you run over like a rock or a root or like a curb or something, mm -hmm. the wheel adjusts. It'll be like dun, dun, and go right over it, you know? Wow. So like that's a good experiment. And like when people see that and feel that, I feel like they, they start to get things. So like, so like in my opinion then, like what when, when you start putting weight on the bar, like actual like take your mass of your body and shift it forward to the bottom bracket and put weight on the bar. Mm -hmm. A, creates tension in your body, never cool. Okay. B, it, it totally interferes with the steering action of the bike. Like if you do that experiment like I just described and you just put a pinky on the bar, if you put a gram of resistance on the bar, the bars don't turn, they stay straight. So like any weight at all on the bar or tension prevents the bike from steering Jeez, wow. So so we've all been there, right? I, I'm guessing where you're like trying to turn, but the bike just goes straight, mm -hmm. right? It's oh, yeah. probably because it, well, you're too you're scared. So you're too far back, the front end's light, it's not hooking up, and um the, the bars won't steer because you're holding on, right? So then what happens is we all are oh shucks. I'm I'm thinking totally about like my meat growing up out in your area and that loose over hard pack. Yeah. And then you're like to the point where you're like, dude, I gotta turn or I'm gonna die and then you steer, right? How often does the front end just wash up? All the time. <laughs> because most you're too far back and you steer, right? So like, like at, the, at the most basic, basic essence of cornering, right? Um, on Joy of Bike, we just did a video about this actually, but the, at, at the most basic essence, it's just like be in the middle of the bike. If it's just like a sketchy turn, Put all your weight on the outside foot, 100% of it, lean the bike, let it happen. And that works awesome. Wow. That works really, really well. That's like a good basic turn, like on a road bike, perfect. So then like that, 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 the bonus comes to, all right, so that's that. Now I'll go to the, to the attack position thing. Okay. So back when I started, right, like there, there's no real like useful information out there about how to run a mountain bike. It didn't exist. You know, I was the first one to do a good job of it. But there's a lot of wisdom wisdom about motocross. And so I figured, well, motocross, like they've been at this longer than us. So they were really big on the attack position back then. So that's where I got it from motocross. Okay. So, you know, heavy feet, light hands, totally cool, great. Shoulders low, yeah, that's good too because the, short, the lower your shoulders are, the more range of motion you have to control the bike. It's totally cool. Um, back then, I thought your elbows should be out. I can't even do it anymore. I ruined my shoulders. That is wrong. 
Wow. You know, and then, but the idea back then that I had was like, all right, like if you're going to pick a position, this is a good one. And you can kind of like hang on and let things happen. But that was a long time ago. And um, for myself, and this comes up in that Joy Bike video about hinging, like, like I was succeeding. I was riding well. Like I said, I did pretty well in my racing for me and all that and having fun. I was helping people. But like, it wasn't quite perfect. Like one, the biggest thing that I was feeling was that my shoulders are completely ruined now. They're done. And what was happening was I was just putting way too much effort into the bike in the wrong way. And, and I started sensing like that there was something wrong with my approach, something like fundamentally not right. And I, and I, and it was getting to the point where my shoulders were so bad, they hurt so much. And, and we're all cyclists. We're not afraid of pain. So if I'm telling you that I'm in pain, like you can imagine what that means. Like mm -hmm. just white hot, like you can't even see straight. Yeah. If I hit a rock, it would just be like white hot shooting pain mm -hmm. and I'll go over the bars. Like it was bad. And I was getting to the point where I was like, well, you know, I'm going to have to give up what I'm doing and go back to what I used to do if I don't figure this out. So I started just like going, I started over again with my research and my thinking. And um, I started having these theories that like, well, maybe like, I just like, I just had these theories, like, like maybe I'm missing something. And, and I was starting to feel like, well, maybe the bars don't go up and down with bumps. Maybe we balance in the middle of the bike. We stand on the bike. My index fingernail is the handlebar. Maybe they actually do this mm. when the bike changes attitude. Yeah. And you know what's funny? Sitting here right now for anyone who's watching this, duh, of course, totally simple. But, but like historically speaking, that had never been published anywhere. Nobody was talking about it. I was like the expert writing these books. I didn't know. Like no one knew. You know what I mean? Not like in a cognitive way. Like no one knew. You know the good riders were doing it without thinking about it, but no one knew. And so like I was having these like like feelings and like like and I and I and I, I just I, it was coming, right? Mm -hmm. And and so to your point, I was in Arizona. At the time, I was the head coach for all of NICA, that's the National Interscholastic Cycling Association, the US National Mountain Bike League. So I was, I, I've coached about a thousand coaches, trained about a thousand coaches, which is wow. pretty cool. That's cool. It was super rad. So I was in Tucson to, to teach a summit. That was going to be like Saturday. And then Friday I was supposed to do like, like just classes to make money, you know, cause I, I was a volunteer for the league. So I got there Thursday and dude, between the airport and the hotel and in, 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 in Tucson, I got sick. Mm. Like, like, like you described, I got the flu, like you can't believe. Mm. And, um, and, and you know, I had to cancel a full paying day. It was a lot of money, but I had to cancel it. And I spent the entire day in this crappy Motel 6. No AC, you know what I'm talking about. Middle of summer, it was shit, you know. I was in and out of this fever. And, and, and I really wanted to, like, I knew I was doing this show, like it's like a performance thing where I'm teaching, but it's also a show, really. If you're coaching like one person, that's coaching. If you're coaching 50 people, that's entertainment. It's different. <laughs> yeah, it's just different. So I was, I, was, I, I was really struggling with this, like these senses of these ideas. And, um, and I was in this fever, like you said. And, and dude, it came to me clear as, a, clear as day. I saw myself with like, like two tables end to end with like a pedal on each table 
and the bike pivoting and I'm standing in between. And I was like, whoa, crazy. And that came from God or whoever's in charge. And so the next day I went in there and I was like, guys, I have a crazy idea. Do you mind? And it worked. And then, oh, and it all changed. It all changed because then I started like really getting into like, okay, like now I understand that the bar path is not up and down. And all these years I'm fighting up and down, mm. but the bars don't do that. So I'm just beating the hell out of myself. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. wearing my shoulders out, crashing. We've all gone over the bars in a rock garden. I did it all, mm. all the time. Um, and, 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 like, and everything started shifting, right? And I, and I started like understanding more. And then I started getting into like what the hip hinge was because I didn't invent the hip hinge. Like the hip hinge is the basis of all sports, pretty much. Pretty much the basis. And real quick, I mean, in case you can see. Yeah, show us show us what that looks like on that on the rip row, so we can see what the hinge. So handy! I've got this machine here. We just did a live workout on this thing. So, like, real quick, um, let's see if I can make this work. Yeah. So for the folks who are listening in, this uh, this is called the rip row, and uh, this is what Lee uses to help teach some of his classes. And it, it mimics um, it mimics being on the bike, so he's able to show us te techniques on that. It's like a pump trap that you can put in your office. Yeah. And you can yeah. buy it on ripro.com. Um, I'll say this, like from a training standpoint, there's nothing. It's crazy. If you want to talk about it, I'll be happy to. But check this out. So, so okay. Most of us, when we ride, we get the shit beaten out of us. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. When we're going on downhills, do your quads ever just burn like crazy? Yeah, quads burn. Um, like you said, OTB. We've had some folks in the audience who've gone OTB, broke their broke their elbows. Um, yeah, but all the above. So all the above. <laughs> yes. So check it out. First of all, if your quads, I don't know if you can see, like, like most of us. You ready? This is good for your advice. Most of us are are quad and knee dominant. Most people in this hemisphere, like the Western hemisphere, right? Okay. So when we want to get down, like attack the trail, watch what my knees are doing. They're going, they're going forward. See that? That's yeah. a squat. So if you're in the gym and you want to get in the squat rack and do, do squats, that's good. So what you do is, is, is your torso stays somewhat upright. You drop your butt down and your knees come forward. See how my knees are coming forward? Mm -hmm. So your knees end up like toward the front of your foot yeah okay and, and here's off, the thing off that middle line yeah and so and then like boom trying to get my quads to look good here where's the, <laughs> where's the angle there's no angle that works <laughs> um, i need like augmentation so check it out right like like the the net force the gravity is going like basically down through here right when you when you push your knee forward there's a big distance between that line and the knee. You see that mm -hmm. distance? Mm -hmm. And the farther the joint, I, I'm mirroring so I can't see. Like the farther the joint is from that line of force, okay. the more torque is on that joint. Okay, so that's all in the knee right there. That's mostly knee. So it, I don't care how fit you are, I don't care what kind of quads you have. Mm -hmm. If you do this for a minute, you're gonna feel it, dude. Yeah. right? Yeah. And then when, we're, when you're on your downhill, when you're on your bike, like doing some big descent, like I'm thinking about the San Juan trails along downhill in your area. Like when your quads get tired, you sit down. And once you sit down on real terrain, you're, you're, you're hosed, 
right? Mm -hmm. So check this out. This right here saves lives. Check this out. So, okay, A, squatting, terrible on the quads, and your shoulders are really far from the bars. So you have no control. So you're like a hunk of meat hurtling to an uncertain fate, right? Yeah. In a hinge, I'll go square stance first. In a hinge, watch my knees. My knees stay over my feet, and my butt goes back, and I fold my torso level. So that force is not in the knee anymore, it's in the hip. Wow. This, I'm telling you right now, like this, back, this, good. It's all about the knee and hip placement. Like if you can like hinge like this, mm -hmm. dude, huge. A, the tension's here. These muscles, they don't get tired, dude. They're huge, right? Mm -hmm. And B, check this out. Your shoulders are right at the hammer box. So if you want to go down like a crazy downhill, watch. All you got to do is this. Boom. You're going down a crazy downhill. Wow. So then like, like the hinge like is like the deeper understanding of the mechanics of how you should, of how you should move, right? So then it was like, ah, there's that. And of course, if you research football, any, any sport, hinging's it. It's huge. So then I was like, okay, that's how your hips work. And there's this interrelationship between your hips and your hands that works on the bike and on the rip row. And then I started realizing like, okay, we're not going to like freeze our legs and just hold on. What we're gonna do, let's see if I can show you, my lighting in here is not awesome. But basically you have a low hinge and you have a high hinge, Okay. right? And you can move up and down between those two hinges, low, high, low, high. That makes sense? That makes sense. So check it out, brother. Here, like in a nutshell, right? Your arms keep you in the middle of the bike by controlling the attitude of the bike. Got it? Okay. And the arms push and pull forward and backward. That's enabled by your hinge. Okay. Okay? Wow. As long as you stay exactly in the middle of the bike, you're safe. Wow. That's all you have to know. If you take like one of our level one classes here in, in, in Boulder, mm -hmm. that's what we teach you. And you're good to go. That's job one. Job two, okay, your legs, of course, move up and down. So then you start managing pressure and pump and the height of obstacles with your legs. And so part of like that whole like shift away from the attack position mm -hmm. was toward this idea that we hinge and then we move within the hinge. And, and when you integrate the hand and the arm movement, you get what I call a row, which is this part. This would be like a bunny hop or boosting a jump or a technical climb, like anytime you need torque. And then you have what we'll call an anti-row, which is this. Drop. And that's like going over a rock, off a ledge, okay. in the air, right? Yeah. And, and so what, what, what we do now is we dial in the hinge, and then we start to move through like the fore-aft with the arms and the up and down with the legs, and then we integrate. And that's kind of the, the essence of it. And like when I, when I started teaching, I had like – like a, like a little piece of paper with like 56 things on it that I wanted to teach you. 
But like, this is the big one. This is the essence. And so when I coach now, we spend almost all the time working on this row anti-row hinging stuff. And once you have it, dude, everything's different. So, so you asked about cornering on hard pack. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fine. So there's your basic cornering technique that's been well documented, and we have videos <laughs> on it on Joy the Bike, and of course, tons on my sites. When the basic like essence of cornering would be um, lean the bike independently from your body, okay. right? Everybody agrees on that one. Um, rotate your like torso and hips where you want to go. Okay. That's a good one. And then um, balance on your f- in the middle of the bike. Some corners foot down, some corners feet level. If you want to talk about that, we can. But that's the essence of the cornering. So that's the and that's in the hinge position when you're in a corner. Yes. Yes. So yes. when you're corner, this is it. Anything that's fun happens in a hinge. Everything that's fun happens in and out of a hinge. Okay. So like. Climbing Majeska Grade, I'm thinking about all the SoCal trails I used to ride. Not fun. That's not a hinge. You're just sitting on the seat. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, but when you're cornering, right, A, you want the weight here. Okay. B, we want to have as much arm range as possible so we can lean the bike from side to side, right? Yeah. And so it happens in a hinge. And so like, there's basic cornering. If you do the basic cornering thing like I described, it works great. But check it out there's still kind of a finite amount of pressure. You know what I mean? You have one unit of body weight and one unit of tire traction. So you end up with one unit of traction, right? And then as you know, there's a limit. And like, if you want to be a good rider, an aggressive rider, you're always trying to like find the limit, aren't you? You know what I mean? And you're like, and if you're trying to get after it, it's a source of massive consternation because you're like, well, like if I don't use it all, I'm losing time. Let's say you're a racer. Or like, if I'm not using it all, like I can't hang with Mark on his trail, like Greer Ranch. But then if you use too much, you crash, right? So check this out, you ready for this? Within the hinge, of course, we have a high hinge and a low hinge. We have a roughly this much leg range, okay? okay? So what we do is while we corner, we load the bike. We actively smash into the ground with our legs, with our hips. Okay, like kind of pumping down on the bike or compressing oh, yeah. it. And that, my friend, is is the difference maker. So like, for example, like if you make your bike twice as heavy, which is easy to do, mm-hmm. you have twice as much traction. Simple. That makes you can sense. make your bike five times as heavy. I am more likely to bottom my suspension while cornering than I am hitting bumps. Holy cow, okay. Mm-hmm. And, and like all those guys, Lopes, all the good riders do these things. If you know what to look for, it's all there. You can see it. So like for so like like yes, there's a lot of wisdom out there about how you have to like load the front end of the bike, especially on like a, a modern enduro bike, okay. right? But it, it's fraught with peril. So my my basic like at the, at the level two, level one is just be in the middle of the bike, trust it, it's fine. Level two is load the bike. And this is the thing, brother. Like, let's say your front tire has 40% of your weight on it, right? Okay. Because of that 60-40. So let's call it 40 units. Well, okay. If you double the whole bike, now it has 80 units. It has twice as much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like my like the simplest thing you can do is, is load the entire bike as a unit. Hands are still light. 
And then again, you can double, triple, quintuple your traction. Wow. Game changer, dude. Game changer. And then there's more, there's like a level three where you do like some row, anti-row craziness with your arms. But that bit of advice I just gave there um, is big. Wow. That is huge. That is huge. And that totally makes sense. Um, and as far as if we're at home trying to work on the hinge, is it is it actively making sure that, like your belly button's facing the the ground or that your lower back is like completely parallel to the ground? Is that how you yeah. want to? Yeah, you're, ideally, it? your torso is is level with the ground. Okay. And that's actually like the in my mind the definition of a hinge is to pivot your hips and your spine together. We're not bending your low back ever. Okay. Your okay. hips pivot on top of your femurs. And most people, I mean, I've been active all day, so I'm super loose right now. I just did a ripple workout, live one online. But like most people, their hamstrings are too tight for this to happen. Okay. And so like, raise your hands, everybody. How many of you have lower back pain on downhills? I'll get them. Most people yeah. do, right? Mm -hmm. So part of that's like lack of hip core engagement, probably. But the other part is like most of us don't have enough hamstring range to like get the pelvis to, to rotate forward far enough. So mm -hmm. then we end up doing, because you, you probably intuitively understand you got to get lower so you can control the bike, is you end up, you end up bending your back, gotcha. you know? And then on any kind of a downhill, your back will start to hurt, you know? And then of course, once it starts to hurt, you're pretty much hosed, you know? Yeah, those muscles Nothing's are starting to get tired and everything, yeah. Everything falls apart, right? So I'm doing a lot of talking, but that's, uh, I'm all excited, but that's like the thing. So like you want to be able to get your torso level. Now check it out. Level one is with your feet next to each other. Okay. Just like a, like, like a football player or a motocross with you. That's hard enough. Okay. Start there. Level two, this is way harder, brother. It's with your feet in a pedal position. Like you have cramp, cramp. Mm -hmm. And so very few people can do this. Because that forward leg, there's a huge stretch on the hamstring, like way more, um, way more. And so what that does for most people is like your hips get pulled crooked. And you ever notice, I'm nerding out, but I think you guys will take it, hopefully. You ever notice how most people, especially cross-country nerds when they descend, like you notice how like one knee is behind the other knee when they're on downhills? You ever notice that? Okay, yeah. But if you watch like a pro downhiller, they don't look like this. They look like this. See my knee? See the difference? They're together, yeah. Not cool, freaking rad. So check it out. Like if you don't have the mobility in your hamstring, I hope I can show this, like this hip gets pulled crooked. And then it creates this space right here. And then most people, this back quad is the one that just kills them, right? Interesting. And your your spine is twisted, dude. So your little back hurts. Mm. So this is hard. This is a huge assignment. One reason people should all buy Ripple's ta-da. Yeah. Is this, right? Like I call it the triangle of awesome. Like when you are you ready for this? When you're gonna do a deadlift in a square stance, okay? Okay. The pivot of your knee goes right on top of the middle of your foot, the middle of your base. That's where okay. it goes. So it's a little isosceles triangle, right? Okay. When you want to shred, this is hard to do, but this is the goal. When you're in your low hinge, hips are square, knees are next to each other. 
They're right yeah. next to each other. Right next to each other. And so this is so badass because now you have the same tension in both hips and thighs. Mm-hmm. So you don't get that weird one leg killing you business. Mm-hmm. And your back's not crooked. So you don't get the back hurt. And your level, your level right there are balanced in the in the pedals instead of in the Yeah, pedals. you're there. And you can like deal with crazy forces. Like like uh I'm, I mean you'll see it all over the internet, but like like I was watching a G. Atherton video, like he was a, it was a race run, and he's just cruising along, you know, and he's super dynamic. So there's no position for those guys. It's all it's all happening so fast. Yeah. But he like overshot this like um drop, and then he was gonna take a really big hit at the bottom. Like it was obvious, and he didn't think about it. He he subconsciously basically went to a hinge. He he lined everything up perfectly. Got his because he usually when he rides, most people where am I? They ride like with with with, with one heel down and one heel up. They kind of wedge. Okay. Right. Okay. Right before he landed, he he squared everything up and he leveled his feet up and just took this massive hit right through his core and he's good. Wow. It made, it's really strong. It's really stable. And and I'm telling you, like it, like that's the skill hinging hinge 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 if you're a football player one of my friends a guy i work with a guy who uses that to train on as a freaking nfl linebacker wow that's his job is hinging he told he retired but he told me when he used to play and he was making millions a year you know he was proper serious guy Mm -hmm. he said when he was playing he would brush his teeth in a hinge he would read books in a hinge he would take phone calls in a hinge like that was it's such an important part of his work to be in a hinge and explode out of it, right? Wow, wow. And dude, I, I trained him on a mountain bike. Oh my god, it, it, insane! Stellar. Had the like, hinge right away and just probably took right off. Yeah, like I gave him. I tried giving him a lesson. He's just like, "Shut up, pig squeak." You know what I mean? <laughs> and he just did it. And it was so hysterical. I have a pump track here that's really hard for good riders to ride. He fucking rode it because wow. he knows how to use his body. And then one day we were out downhilling. At Winter Park, we're riding like the double black crazy. And um, I get through. I'm kind of waiting for him at the bottom, you know. And he comes down. And he's like, sorry, bro. I got too much speed, so I ran into some trees to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, though. Hinge, hinge, hinge. And then, like, once we have the hinge, then we do this row, anti-row stuff. And then you're good. Like, like you've heard probably the 80-20 principle. Mm-hmm. Like, what 20% of things give you 80% of results? Results, yeah. Around here, we're about the 99-1 principle. Like, what one thing can we get really good at that's going to serve us almost everywhere on the bike and at the airport, on moving day, doing yard work, playing with our kids, doing other sports? Like, this is it. Like, hinging is is so big. I can't can't overstress how important it is, dude. That's going to be a game changer for a lot of us that are on the bike to oh really practice the hinge. Um, and, you know, it's funny because I watched the video um, Joy of Bike and I saw you talk about the hinge. And I was out with my buddy Joey. We were riding at a place. We were just cruising around Lake Hodges. And there was a little drop there. And I, I thought when I was going to this drop, I, I thought, all right, get, let's get into a low hinge. You know, what I thought I was in a low hinge. And it gave me so much more suspension in my arms when I pushed my my handlebars down as I went, and it wasn't that sketchy at all. Once I got in that position, it was a it was kind of like a click. 
type of thing for me like oh all right okay i need to practice this this is it's such a big deal dude and like like i mentioned how i used to i used to teach all these details because like i know i've done the work like i know what your pinky should be doing what your elbow should be doing and your heel and your spleen and your ear you know i know all those details i used to teach them by the way too like sometimes people want to act smart so they tell you a bunch of shit to act smart and that was me Honestly, I was like, well, you're paying me money. I'm going to show you how smart I am and give you lots of information. But that's not how teaching really works. Not good teaching. So now we focus on the one thing. We focus on that one thing that gives us 99%. We focus on the hinging and the row anti-row cycle. And then if you have like a particular, like let's say, Matt, like you have a particular thing with your elbow where your handlebars are too wide or something like that, which messes with your elbows, then I'll cue that. Or if you're doing something weird with your earlobe, I'll cue that. But like for most people, once the big pieces are there, the little pieces take care of themselves. It's really cool, dude. It's really, really, really cool. And by the way, you know, like I, I believe in the grand unified theory of shred guts. And I massively believe that anything that's true in one area of life is true in other areas of life, right? Mm-hmm. And that like, Hinging and then pressure and angling are universal. So, like, um, I don't ski. I love to ski, but I don't do much because I don't have time slash money, right? And um, but I was out. My girls were taking a lesson with like a pro, and I was out just on the hill. And I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna like ski the way I teach people how to corner bikes. I'm gonna use exactly the same techniques and cues. Holy shit! I was making these like Warren Miller zipper lines down the hill. I was looking back on, oh my God, like my ex-wife was like a pro skier. And I'm like, that's what she was doing. But no one was helping me. And then I, I, I was skiing and their teacher thought I was like a professional skier. Huh. And I'm not huh. at all. By the way, this is with no poles. I don't know what the hell to do with poles. So <laughs> I, I, that's beyond me. But like, but like, uh, like my point is, it's not that I'm some athlete, but it's just like, those principles of like hip mechanics and loading and unloading and angulation, like surfing, skiing, snowboarding, rollerblading. I mean, on and on and on and on and on, on, right? It's like a universal thing. And by the way, since I'm on a roll, like one of my thinkings is this, because I work with people who are like us, who like work and have families and they don't have a ton of time, you know what I mean? And there are things we have to learn for work, right? So I feel like, like if I if I if I teach you something that only works on the bike, that's cool for your biking, but it doesn't have a lot of effect on your life, right? That's Does it make cool. sense? Yeah, that's really cool. And so it's hard to justify the practice time. You know what I mean? It's just hard to like your dad. You got a wife. You got kids. You got a job. You got ugh, all this. It's hard to justify the practice time. But one of my thoughts is like, all right, well, look, then fine. Let's just do this 1% thing. And then, like I mentioned before, if you ever want to go skiing, there. If you ever have to lift a couch, use a hinge. You know what I mean? Like if you have to like lift a car off a kid or whatever, like, like or like you have to do like, I, I, we have two acres of property out here. So sometimes I have to do heavy labor out there. Hinging. Hinging. So, so I feel like, like I feel like, it's a huge service to my people when I teach them the hinge because it's not just for mountain biking. 
It's for every sport they do and for daily life. Because most dudes, when they're middle-aged, their back goes out. Super common. Mm-hmm. And that comes from like poor core engagement and poor mechanics. So if you learn a hinge and you work out correctly, you're going to be bulletproof, dude. That's very cool. Is that cool? That makes sense? Yeah, I love it. I love it, Lee. Um, for the folks that are coming on uh, a little bit later here, we have Lee McCormack. He is an author of the book called Mastering Mountain Bike Skills, as well as another book called Dialed. He's a, a mountain bike coach in Boulder, Colorado, but he also has online classes for us folks that live a little further away. Um, so, and, and that website is called, I actually type it into the, to the system, but it's LL b m t b dot oops i'm sorry l l b m t b dot com right there you'll see that in the comment section um that's where you can interface with the uh, online content that lee has but guys feel free to ask questions while we have lee on um lee if, if you wouldn't mind just um while people are probably loading up a few questions here could you take us through, there's been a lot of uh, new riders, you know, due to, to COVID, a lot of us dusted off bikes or got bikes for the first time and, and hit the trail. Can you give us like maybe the fundamentals on jumping? Because I think now a lot of us have started back in, you know, March, April, and now we're at that point where we want to kind of get the bike off the ground. And I saw something really cool on um, Joy of Bike that you talked about was the difference between, I don't want to spoiler alert, I want you to be able to explain it to folks, but the difference between being on the ground and being in the air, if done correctly, is like synonymous. It's hard, it doesn't matter. By the way, tomorrow we're dropping a new video on on, on Joy of Bike um, on how to jump, like a proper jumping technique video. Joy of Bike, um, jumping one-on-one or whatever he's gonna call it. Um, and it's gonna be a really good one. So first of all, like, we all look at pink bike and we're all have our social media feeds and we're led to believe that everybody who owns a mountain bike is jumping. That's what you see. That's the expectation. And I, and I work with like, you know, tons of people. I've I've coached something like 7,000 people now, all levels from first timers to world champions, like everybody. Right. And they all want to jump. And so first of all, um, jumping, I said, is dangerous. It can be really dangerous. People can get really hurt. I know this because I hurt myself learning, hurt myself repeatedly learning. So like, don't be rushing now. There's that. Second of all, you have to have a hinge. You better have a hinge. If you don't have a hinge, you have no business. I'm going to say it like hardcore, right? You have no business hitting a drop or a jump. None. Don't do it. You need a hinge. You need a hinge in a bike stance. That's pretty hard. Go out there and do that. And you're going to say, oh, shit, I have homework to do. That's totally cool. You have to have these things. You then have to have a good row, which, again, is this, this integrated pull with your hands, push with your legs. Okay. And you have to have a really nice anti-row. Okay. You're not going to learn those on a jump. You cannot. If you're a little kid, maybe. But if you're a grown-up, no way. There's too much going on. You have too much trail trauma in your head. 
already. It's not going to happen. There's too much going on. And you're going to get in the air. You're going to freak out. You're going to mess up. You're going to get hurt. Don't do it. So the two best places to learn those movements are the rip row. Okay. I have to say it because it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Ripro.com and a pump track. Pump track. Pump track. Does it matter what bike you take there? Can you can you just take your own uh, bike yeah. or do you have hey, to? I ride whatever you got. The best bike in the world is the one you have. <laughs> I love that. Also, love people that. always ask me, because I get to travel around, which is great. And people are always asking me what my favorite trail is. And I say, the last one I rode, man. That's my favorite trail. <laughs> so, so pump tracks are rad. And there was more and more. Temecula's got a sick Bell Solutions track. Yeah. Um, pump tracks are great. And they're just going to become like more and more common like like the way every city has a little skate park now soon enough every city will have a pump track it'll happen it's, it's coming already and um so a pump track's a really good place to learn that movement because it's just like cycle 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 and like imagine this right like like i can't wait to see tomorrow's video like like when when you when you ride a pump track that's a sine wave isn't it yeah. Like like a BMX rhythm, you know, it's a sine wave. Um, when you're in a trough, you row. Okay. That's a pull with your hands, push with your feet. Show, Lee, would, would you mind, could you show us on the rip row? Um, oh. You know, can you talk us through? That would be cool. That would be way better than that kind of machine right here, right? And, so and, here we go. And folks, this could be a good way for us to, when we're off the bike, to be able to train, you know, safely for what Lee's talking about. When we're yeah, you, you like really, that. you're not going to learn these movements on a jump. It's so dangerous. It's so crazy. So basically, here I am on my bike. I have a ripper set up so it fits exactly the same as my bike. This is pretty key. And so check it out. You have like a pump track, you have a row. And an anti row, and then and then at the higher level, they become kind of cyclical. And can you see how my hands are kind of falling like in an elliptical pattern, like a round pattern, relative mm -hmm. to my head? That's it, right there. Like I've got so many reps on this machine, dude. Years and years of reps and reps and reps. That that's pretty subconscious now. And I see you going from the high hinge to the low hinge. So when you're going to the low hinge, is that when you're entering that trough of the wave? No, the, like low, the, low hinge, the low hinge happens on top of the bump. Uh, and the high hinge yeah. happens in the hole. Because your, to your, your head's going to stay level, and your bike is going to travel with the bumps. Gotcha. So on the machine, my body's moving up and down. But in real life, the body stays still, and the bike moves up and down. Gotcha. But that motion right there, this is it. And, and like, you can literally, I know people who live in, like, Miami. They have these machines, and they train on them. And they go out to like mow out and they shred because they have movement, right? So, so again, you have like this row, anti-row cycle. So, like on a on a, on a roller, this is cool. Um, rollers are sine waves, right? So then you row through the trough and you anti-row across the crest. That's it. And it's super rad. And then ultimately down the road, you do the same pattern sideways and turns and all this, and you rip. So you need to have that. Like I'm telling you, man, you don't be going to a jump unless you have that skill. Just don't. Don't do it. Gotcha. Now, you ready? Like imagine this. So like, like a, a roller is just like a big pair of like, – I'm mirrored, so it's hard to like gesture, you know? Yeah. Um, a roller is just like a nice – you know what I'm saying. 
double A pro BMXer, world champion, but he doesn't know everything, so he came and took a class. Like, like this, this blows my mind. Like, so many of us have so much ego, including me, and we like we we're so fragile that we can't go get a class and get help from an expert. So what ends up happening is we end up sucking forever. Like I just now like hired a business coach. I've hired Jason before to be my like performance coach. Like I talked to a nutritionist today. I'm talking to like I know a lot about bikes, dude, but I'm still getting coaching. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow we're gonna shoot a video and I'm gonna be the student. Right? So I'm just like a like a side of side thing about Jason. Like that's one cool thing about that dude, is he's like a freaking badass way more than all of us put together and yet he comes to a class because he knows he can learn something right mm-hmm. does that help does that make sense a lot yeah a like lot. we're all we all, we're all too proud we're all and i'll tell you i'll share tomorrow's video is about wheelie and i'll admit to all y'all i've been a professional mountain biker like i literally live in this house in boulder and i pay for it because i'm a mountain biker right that's my job which is freaking great i can't wheelie can do it. I've taught people to wheelie. My books tell you how to wheelie. But me personally, I've never been able to like get that balance point. I've never done it. I've never made it. So tomorrow, total ego check. I'm going to go with Alex Boguski, who's my partner on Joy the Bike. And in front of the camera, I'm going to learn down to wheelie, for God's sake. I'm going to do it. And, and like, and the only thing that's preventing me from succeeding is my fragile ego, dude. Hmm. Wow, that's very cool that you're going to do that. It's really cool you're going to do that. Thanks, so, man. Yeah, God, there's so so much good stuff that you've shared. Um, looking at the audience, we have a, a wide array of folks that are, uh, you know, kind of like me, uh, newer to mountain biking, and we've got some folks on here that are that are rippers. Um, and if you guys have any more questions at all, please chime in. I think our time is is coming up here with Lee, but um, I see a question from John W. Yes. Um, he asked about arm pump from death gripping. Okay, there you go. That's a big one, right? God, like, dude, back when I, before I knew better, and I was, I used to race downhill, like, pretty seriously. You know? There we go. And, and every season, my knuckles would, like, double in size from the uh, inflammation, just from holding on so hard. So, so first of all, heavy feet, light hands. That's the biggest thing. Like that's the biggest thing. If you have weight on your hands or tension on your hands, you'll get arm pump and your arms will it'll hurt. So that's job one, heavy feet, light hands. Job two is actively managing the angle of the bike. If, if a bump is big enough for you to see it, you should be actively doing the bump. The little stuff, like, like you know, I'm making motions that are like, you know, one to four or five inches, the little stuff, your suspension will take care of that for you. You don't have to worry about that. But anything that's big enough, like a threshold obstacle that you notice, mm-hmm. you need to own it. Because if you don't own it, the bike's going to go there anyway, and it's going to create tension. That's the biggest thing I can say. And, and by the way, like I used to suffer from arm pump so bad. And I had situations when I was racing where, like, back in the day, still like this, you'd be, like, on single track, super, you know, physical, crazy, and you go out onto the ski run, and they send you down the ski run and you're going like 40, 50 miles an hour. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, it's less common now, but back then that was a huge part of it. And so do you be in the braking bumps? And I remember more than once 
my arms pumping so bad that my hands blew off the bar. Wow. Now I'm crashing at like 40 miles an hour. Jeez. Like it was gnarly. And so then like once I started understanding this stuff, everything changed. My, like I would get, I would, I would come out like a Keystone here in Colorado. We used to race there. Super long physical course. Come out of the woods on a ski run and I would just do this with my hands. <sighs> and let them rest. And they would completely recover 100% and I go back into the woods and get after it, you know. That's a that's a big one. Wow. Does that does that come from you're putting a lot of weight on, but if if you're not putting weight on, is that just gripping it so tight cuz you're you're just putting tension in there cuz of stress on you're stressed about the trail? Yeah, like back then, I would say that it probably wasn't very well balanced. So I was always like here's the thing, if you're a little bit too far forward, I'm talking 1%, you're going to get beat. If you're 1% too far back, you can get beaten up. Like the only place you don't get beaten up was when you're riding low, right? Yeah. And so check this out, right? Like, so let's say you're, plus like being a downhill racer is stressful already. You're already out of your mind, you know? But like, so check this out. Like, let's say you have a little, like you're off. And by the way, if you're not paying attention, everybody's off, right? So you're a little off. And so then what happens, right? Is like, whether you're forward or back, you've created like a line of tension between your hand, the handlebar and your head, mm. right? Okay. So if there's tension there, everything that happens to the handlebar happens to your head. Mm. Is that making sense? Wow. And of course, check this out. Like all the computers and gyroscopes are in your head. Yeah. Right. So I'm trying to make a logical case for this. So like if you're in that situation, a lot of vibration and movement are being conveyed to your head. And anytime your head gets displaced in space like that, you get a little bit of like a, of a fear or stress response, hmm. which guess what? Makes you tense. More tense. And, then, and it makes it worse. Yeah. It's harder. And then, so, uh, and then you're, spiral. and then we've all been there. I've been there. Oh dude, I need a new Fox 36. No, no, I need a new Fox 38. Or back in the day I was on DH bikes. I need a Fox 40. Like you start adding suspension. To kind of like, or like bigger tires or less pressure, you know, you run cush core. Like there are all these ways that people, like men especially as a species, we are terrible at acknowledging our weaknesses mm -hmm. and addressing them. Mm -hmm. We're just terrible at that. It's like cultural. But we're really good at going, oh, dude, I saw a pink bike, I knew comments saw blah, blah, blah. Um, through everything. Oh, I need a different offset fork, or I need a different head angle, or oh, I need a longer reach. Like all this, forgive me, bullshit. Versus and the real solution is just like finding your own body. Versus looking in, yeah. Look within. Ooh, that was eating, right? That that makes that makes sense. That makes sense, dude. That that's true too. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm I'm running a Fox 34, and I'm like, hmm, maybe I need a Fox 36. <laughs> it struck a chord when you said that. I'm like, oh, I need, I need to look within here. <laughs> um, thank you, Robert. Oh, sorry. Oh no, no. Uh, thank you, Robert Lee, for this question. He asks, how do I manage body position, especially for after aft body position in corners? Maybe before and after body position in corners. You see, like forward and, back, forward and back. It's just simple, dude. Balance on your feet or foot. That's all you have to know. That's it. That's it. That's all you have to know. Like, like, like going forward isn't good. Going back is terrible. Like, if your hands are floating on the bar, you're good. That's all there is to it. Now, like, depending on what forces are in play, 
of course, you might not be exactly from the outside on top of the bottom bracket, right? If you're losing speed, let's say, then um, you'll, you, to be in balance, you'll be a hair behind the bottom bracket as if you're on the brakes. If you're gaining speed, you might be a little bit forward. If you're leaning in the turn and pulling three Gs, which we do on pump tracks, your whole system is leaning 68 degrees relative to the to, 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 to level. So like the angles themselves and the positions are really variable and really arbitrary. And people get in big, 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 big trouble when they're like, when they take this stupid advice like, oh, chin over the bar. Or, you know what I mean, or boobs over the bar for women, you know? None of that. Like, like you have to look within yourself, sorry, and just find balance. And, and if your hands are weightless, like I said before, that's the solution to a really complicated equation. Gotcha. It's all you have to know, man. It's that simple. So heavy again, heavy feet, light hands, and then hinge, situational on, on how you're taking that corner, the angle that you're getting into it, picking up speed, slowing speed. Yeah, or if it has bumps in it, like like if it has chatter, like like every time you hit like a rock or like a braking bump, the bike is slowing down just a hair, right? So in order to maintain balance, you're gonna take your entire body, you're gonna shift it back. You're gonna be back a little bit. If you shift it back so far that you feel tension on your fingers, you went too far. You went too far. You're gonna you're gonna shift back just enough to keep your hands completely weightless. That's all it is. It's so subtle sometimes. So then like, so then like when you're cornering, like classic example, beautiful example would be like going down a really gnarly switchback corner, right? Like that's one of the hardest things you can do. The only thing that's harder is like going up, right? Um, but like consider this, they don't build switchbacks in um, meadows. They always build them on the side of a big cliff. So you have exposure. So you're scared. They're always steep. There's a steep slope. They're always tight, and there's generally like a root, rock, rock, water bar, breaking bump, or something some, in it. Something, yeah. Always some spice. So you're managing all of those things at the same time. Hmm. So a, you need to be really good at each individual thing before you can put them together on a fly. And b, like. You can't be stressing the details of like, oh, where am I going to be? Like, it's way more effective to be in your hinge and focus on being in your feet. And if you do that, you're good. That's awesome. John W. gets it here. Life gripping equals steering with your pinkies. Nice and light. <laughs> MTV Allen with the LOL. John W. pinkies out like drinking tea. Um and then Robert Lee says, hey, that's great. Thank you. And he also adds, been a member of the LLB for a while. That's cool. Thank you, Robert. I recognize your name, man. Thank you. That's, that's very, very, that's very cool. Lee, we're, we're about at an hour and a half. Um, and We, we want to give people the discount code, right? Yes. We're definitely going to give people the discount code. So um, for the folks that are watching this live and for the folks that will be listening to this in the podcast version, if you go to Lee's website and, and you, you'll see that there are courses there that you could take. And that website again is www. I'm sorry, it's, it's LLB Lima Lima Bravo Michael Tango Bravo.com and use the code word the segment for 50% off of those classes. And you could either take 50% off for the month or the year um, you decide. But 50% off. And you can off. membership site monthly or yearly. 
And um, it has massive amount of all the stuff I'm talking about with skill. And it has some training information, which is good, but it also has a whole massive section that'll blow your brains out about bike setup. Huge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that bike setup is huge. In fact, Lee and I were talking backstage about this and um, it happens all the time, I guess. I mean, people get into a bike that's not set up for them. Either, either it's too big, the bars are too wide for their body, and that ends up either in pain, joint pain, or just a non-enjoyable ride. So um, that is primo importanto. Um, and then, you know, that machine behind you, the rip row, for, for the folks of us who want to learn, you know, the hinge and the row and the anti-row, and I see that sucker leans left to right, so it mimics, you know, getting it into corners and things like that. Where where do we get one of those, and, and how much do those things cost? Or, or and, and there's probably classes around all that stuff as well. Yeah, so um, the website um, for that is the ripro.com, R-I-P-R-O-W.com. You can learn about it there. There's a whole section about, like, with workouts and, and, and movements, and I teach live workouts three days a week. Everyone's welcome to join those. Um, and then this, and then like the site has a lot about the skill for the Ripro and the bike. And then, um, the Ripro site does. And then of course, LLBMTP has deep knowledge on how to ride a bike really well. And the Ripro is, it's, it's a hell of a tool. You know, I gotta say, like it, it really, uh, it teaches these things. It makes them subconscious, it makes you strong in the ways you want to be as a mountain biker. Um, it works. It's all there's to it. Oh, that's great. I mean, for folks that are looking to get something like that, you know, when they can't get out on the trails, if it's, say, it's wintertime where you are, that looks like an extremely effective tool to use to strengthen your skills while you're waiting for the weather to get better. Or yep. if you're, uh, like you or Lee, you know, a busy executive trying to get to the weekend so you can ride, um, that would be something you can do to de-stress de while increase your skills. And I'll say really quickly that, yeah, it's a kick-ass tool for mountain bike, no question. But also... It's the only in the world upright rolling machine that has both pull and push. So like, forget all the mountain biking stuff for a second. Like we all need to be in shape. We all need to work on squatting slash um, hinging. We all need to do core work. We all need to do pulling and pushing work. And this machine does it all at the same time. So you can like, and I'm like, sounds like a commercial, but I'm just so excited. Like I've seen what it does for people. Like you can go on that thing. The workouts we do are 24 minutes. In that 24 minutes, you have cardio, strength, skill, power, blah, 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 all that, all of us. Yeah, while increasing the skills, you know, you get, yeah, you get your exercise. Um, lots of gyms are closed right now, and then you're also increasing your skills for the bike. Super so. good friendly, and it fits anywhere, you know. Yeah. That, and people have questions about any of this. They can email me, leeavelikespikes.com. What was it one more time? Lee at, actually, it's better to go Lee likes bikes at gmail.com. Lee like, oh, just like the, just like, yeah, Lee likes bikes, Lee likes bikes at gmail.com or my, my main website is Lee likes bikes.com. All good. And that's exactly well, that. That was the last question I was going to say is for those of you who want to follow Lee, um, definitely go to the YouTube and check out. He's partners with a guy named, I believe it's, is it Alex? Alex. And they put some really great content out there on a show called Joy of Bike. And it's really well done. You guys will get a ton of information out of it. Um, there's also, uh, where else can they find you, Lee? Oh my gosh. Well, like, um, I just had to make a new Instagram because I got hacked. But it's Lee Likes Bikes Official on Insta. Okay. There's only one post. Um, on, there's Lee Likes Bikes on um, 
Facebook. And I'm Lee McCormack on Facebook. It's easy to tell which one I am. Uh, those are the biggies, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you guys want to follow uh, Lee on those, it's Lee Likes Bikes Official on IG. Um, and then the YouTube channel, uh, check him out there. And there's also, there's Lee Likes Bikes, the YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. There's content there too. Uh-huh. Um, and then, um, but Joy of Bike is, is so, is so good. You know, Alex is doing such a good job. Yeah. Like I said, Tomorrow we're dropping a jumping video. I, I can't wait. Oh man, I can't wait. I can't wait to see it. Make sure you guys tune in there. Um, but send, send Lee an email if you have any questions or on IG, a DM. And then again, that website was llbmtb.com if you guys want to sign up for our class. Um, again, Lee teaches everybody from beginners like me on up to professionals like EC. So, um, you know, everybody's welcome. Everybody can learn something and then use promo code the segment uh, to get half off of that. All right, Lee. I guess without with with uh, without going further, is there anything else you'd like to tell everybody as we sign off? We go on and on, right? Maybe we'll do another one. Um, but that was fun. Hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully, my stories and, and, and technique tips are helpful to everybody. You know, I hope I, I'm here for it. Definitely. So I love it, man. You got me with the with the whale rider story. I love that. I'll always remember that. Pretty crazy, huh? That that is awesome. Sometimes right, written. Yeah. We'd love to have you back on the podcast again. Um, maybe what we'll do is on the next one, we'll send out a, a questionnaire and get a handful of questions people would like to have addressed on on their mountain bike skills. And we can have you back on for that. That'd be cool. That sounds super rad. I like that. Awesome. All right, Lee. And thank you, everybody in the audience. And thank you to all the senders out there that are listening to this on the podcast in the near future. Um, you guys send it safely. And don't forget, all that hard work will always pay off. Have a great night, you guys. Hey, Senders, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And special thank you going out to Lee McCormack for joining us on that episode. So much great information, you guys, on that episode. I have to listen to it again and take some notes and definitely practice the hinge. Also, guys, if you're interested in learning more about the Kung Fu classes that Lee McCormack offers, head on over to llbmtb.com. That's L-L-B-M-T-B. LLB for Lee Likes Bikes, mtb.com. And if you're interested in taking some of those online courses, put in promo code the segment and you'll get 50% off. That is a 50% off. And you could choose between either a monthly or yearly membership there. And I think with a 50% off on the monthly membership, it's something easily affordable like $10 a month uh, to help boost your mountain bike skills and have access to a ton of great information. You can also find Lee on a YouTube channel called Joy of Bikes, which is an awesome show that he runs with his partner, Alex. It's very informative and really great to watch around MTV skills uh, that we're all learning and trying to get better at. Hope you guys enjoyed it, guys. Thank you again for tuning in. And again, special thank you to Lee McCormack and thank you to the sponsors, the Bole brand, 7IDP, and Tasco. Hope you guys are doing well and see you guys on the next episode.